This podcast is part of the Acast Creator Network. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hello and welcome to The Stand with Eamon Dunphy. Now, this week has been historic in Northern Ireland. For the first time, we have a nationalist first minister and, of course, the Northern Assembly has been restored after two years when it wasn't functioning because of a boycott by the DUP. Rishi Sunak and his government appear to have had now, rare success in persuading or doing a deal with the DUP that allowed the DUP the freedom, as they saw it, to join a government in the north. And that was a win. However, there haven't been many wins uh, for this Tory government, and they are widely expected to be hammered at the election, which is due to happen sometime later this year. However, there is an event today in London and the leader or the host of this event, it's been convened by Liz Truss, who was the shortest lived prime minister in British history. I think her time in Downing Street lasted six weeks. She introduced a very controversial uh, budget or had her minister for finance or chancellor of the exchequer, as it is in Britain, Quasi Quatang, introduce a, bu- a budget that many people think was ruinous for Britain and indeed for the Tory party. Uh, earlier this morning, Kwasi Kwarteng announced he will not stand at the next general election. But this conference in London is being convened, as I say, by Liz Truss. Among those attending will be Nigel Farage, the author of Brexit, and arguably the most successful politician in recent British history. And some senior Tories will be there, Jacob Rees-Mogg among them, And we're joined from London now by Chris Johns. Chris, former chief economist with the Bank of Ireland and a very respected commentator now. Chris, this meeting today, or convention really, is going to be attended by hundreds of people. It has a name, PopCon, Popular Conservatism. And it's her argument is that the Conservative Party must move to the right. She doesn't want to get rid of Rishi Sunak at the moment, but... What do you make of it and what's happening? Well, it's her attempt at a comeback. And although she has denied it, there, there is a school of thought that says that after the impending general election, which they're all expected to lose, she will uh, mount another leadership campaign when the contest to succeed Rishi Sunak 
begins, as everybody assumes it will almost the day after that election, if everything goes according to the opinion polls. Many Tory MPs, anonymously, it has to be said, have been briefing the press that they think the idea of a trust comeback is absolute madness. One, uh, at least one Tory MP has dis- described the current Conservative Party as a bit like the, the New York Mafia with five feuding families, and this is now the sixth, and it just adds to the insanity of of what's going on. The clue is in the name, Popular Conservatives. It, it's an attempt to be populist, which is to join the, I guess, movement that's sweeping around the West, uh, at the very least, and parts of Eastern Europe as well, which is a move to, to the populist right, she is essentially saying that her budget, which sank her and contributed to a lot of Conservative MPs today arguing that the reason why they're going to lose their seats in the upcoming general election is because of that budget, because it was the the, 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 the bale of straw that broke the camel's back, and that being the Conservative Party's reputation for com- economic and financial competence because it blew up the all-important government bond market. It, in a very weird way, nearly blew up the, the UK pension industry. And the whole system had to be rescued with a 60 billion plus package bailout from the Bank of England. And Liz Truss blames the Bank of England, actually, for her downfall. She thinks that uh, it was, in some Machiavellian way, orchestrated by the Bank of England's manoeuvres, which which is frankly ridiculous. It, it was all down to her and Kwasi Kwarteng's budget, which was all about unfunded tax cuts. Now she's back saying, we were right. Unfunded tax cuts are the way forward. And she clearly repents nothing about that um, kamikaze budget, as it has been described, and is trying to tap into that thing that we talk about endlessly really as political commentators about right-wing populism which is which is on the march everywhere in france in italy eastern europe and of course the united states the really interesting thing even about the uk at the moment is that i don't think there's much of an appetite for that because we had our burst of right-wing populism with essentially the brexit thing yes and, and all of the years that followed that referendum particularly the boris johnson years who moved from being this uh, liberal, egalitarian, libertarian, even uh, centre-right politician, ex-Lord Mayor of London that, you know, um, had that kind of reputation. He adopted right-wing populism uh, in a very cynical way to uh, cement his power base to get himself into number 10 to become prime minister. And we all know how that ended. And I think the British people are actually thoroughly fed up with that sort of uh, chaos, the sort of chaos that is currently raging in Washington, D.C., for example. The British people have had enough of it. And you can see that in the opinion polls that are essentially saying that we've no idea what the Labour Party stands for. We've no idea what the Labour Party is going to do because Keir Starmer and co. are not telling us because all that they are doing is saying, look, um, you've got the chaos of the five mafia warring families inside the Conservative Party. Vote us in, and we'll at least we will end the chaos and deliver something resembling competence when it comes to economic and other policies. 
And I think we crave that now because of the chaos, really. Yes. Um, it's, it, it's, it's 2016. It's nearly eight years since the referendum now. And we've had nothing but political chaos. Umpteen prime ministers, umpteen finance ministers, cabinet members changing two, three times a year in the same post, sometimes uh, leaving on one day, going back to the same post. It's just been so nutty, this populist chaos that Liz Truss represents that I think, unlike many other countries, it's really interesting because Britain is so unlike uh, this wave that is sweeping other countries. Britain is saying, we've seen it, we've done it, we've had a look at it, and we don't like it. Yes, I mean, there are a couple of things that are very striking. First of all, Liz Truss managed to finish quasi Quatang's career in politics. He's announced he won't stand again. The appearance of Nigel Farage alongside senior Tories such as uh, Jacob Rees-Mogg and Liz Truss and some others will. I mean, it was Farage who spooked the Tory party into the Brexit referendum. David Cameron was afraid of Farage's Brexit party. So, you you know, the British have experienced a form of extreme right-wing populism. It's called Brexit. And now Farage says it hasn't worked because it wasn't implemented. But, you know, when we look across Europe, Italy, Germany, rise of the right, Italy, uh, a neo-fascist prime minister, France, Le Pen, moving closer and closer to parity with Macron, Hungary, Poland, and the United States, as you've pointed out, Chris, the probability now that Donald Trump will be the next president, the Netherlands has moved dramatically to the right. Slovakia has a right-wing government, a hard-right government. The issue appears to be, as it was with Brexit to some extent, a considerable extent, immigration. Would you accept that? I think that immigration clearly is the political issue across all of those countries, yes. including the UK. Um, but again, the UK is a bit different, and that that there is a constituency here in the UK that says it is worried about immigration. There is a very small constituency that agrees with Rishi Sunak and says that it's a problem with the small boats. But I, I think it's a shrinking uh, constituency, because th certainly the polls suggest that Nigel Farage was able to whip up uh, anti-immigration sentiment um, considerably during and after the Brexit referendum. But now that Britain actually is in control of immigration, people are saying that it's interesting that now that we are in control of it, the numbers have gone up. But the fact that the government is in control seems to have landed, seems to have political salience, and people are more comfortable with, with it in the sense that the anti-immigration wave yes. seems to have crested. I'm, I'm not suggesting that it's not there. It is clearly there in certain certain parts of the country. But there is no sense in which it is increasing at the, at the very least. And I suspect that it's actually shrinking and that if the numbers started to come down, um, it would, it would fall, you know, anti-immigration sentiment would, would fall further. But it, it is, it does have political salience, there's no doubt. I just think it has less political salience than it did in the UK. Yes. And less political salience than, than, el than elsewhere. Yes, because you've tried it. I mean, yeah. Brexit, Brexit, well, you know, it's eight years now as in, in since, since, uh, Brexit and uh, since the referendum and effectively a win for, you know, the people who wanted it. It was a populist cause. It won, but it didn't work, hasn't worked. And the, these other countries are just embarking on that course. In some ways, 
with Brexit, Britain was ahead of the game, wasn't it? That's my point, exactly, Eamon, that, yeah. that we've tried this populist yes. thing. It's turned out to be utterly chaotic. They got nothing done. They proved to be utterly incompetent in terms of delivering on any of their promises. And we, we now have people, frankly, laughing at the claims of some of the Brexiteers. You know that Camille Badenoch, who's one of the favorites to succeed Sunak, Yes. Um, far from uh, agreeing with anybody saying that the promises of Brexit were not um, kept to, you might remember the famous £350 million a week for yes, the NHS, indeed. which everybody, frankly, now just laughs at and looks at the state of the NHS and wonders what on earth happened to that promise, just, to, just one of many were not kept. She says, no, no, no. Um, Brexit has allowed £1 billion a week extra to be spent on the NHS. So these people are now making themselves look ridiculous right. and uh, th that's how people see them In incidentally the 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 favorite to succeed sunak is not kemi Pedernock, as many people uh, seem to assume the the polls there is a recent poll of uh, conservative voters not conservative members voters who who uh, voted for conservatives in the last general election by a huge majority want penny mordant to be the next leader so that's one yes. to watch there Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash acast, and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash acast. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss plushcare.com slash weight loss hey dave yeah randy since we founded bombas we've always said our socks underwear and t-shirts are super soft any new ideas maybe sublimely soft or disgustingly cozy wait what i got it bombas absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness because one purchased equals one donated wow did we just write an ad yes Bombas, big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Now, Penny Mordant is an interesting character. She stood in the last uh, Tory leadership race. She didn't get very far, but you couldn't place her, could you, right or left? She's just neutral and doesn't appear to be... She wasn't very impressive. The point... That interests me is we are seeing here 
in Ireland for the first time, really, a move against immigration uh, that's resulting in demonstrations in rural Ireland mostly, uh, but also in Dublin, and very serious, one very serious night of burning and looting and rioting. And even this weekend, a place that was designated as a place where immigrants could be housed was burnt to the ground on the fa- only on the basis of a rumor. Are people across Europe and in the United States entitled to be concerned about immigration? And isn't its appeal obvious that in a country where Britain is in the same boat as us, you can't get a home, you can't get a GP, the National Health Service in Britain is on its knees, our own National Health Service is on its knees, and people feel that, you know, the the phrase used here on signs, which are very, very unpleasant, our Ireland is full. And this populist surge, and it's, as we've pointed out, right across Europe, also in the United States, which it has produced Trump, and in Germany, most ominously perhaps, the AFD are the most popular party at the moment. Is something going on here that the ruling class and the liberal class are ignoring or disparaging? And that is fueling resentment. Yeah, there's a lot in that that needs unpicking. Well, take your time, because I, I know there is, and I, in my own view on it here is I hate it, but I can sympathize. And we don't have a right-wing paper. We don't have a Daily Mail. It's, it's not like the Daily Mail. Nobody pays any yeah. attention to it. We well, don't, don't have need, that right-wing. You don't need tabloid media to whip up these things anymore because you, you have the various social media uh, platforms yes. that are able to organize, right. uh, propagate these views. And, and that's the way in which this stuff gets around, as, as, in, as we all know. Um, the facts about immigration are actually quite clear. Um, they don't, immigrants economy wide do not depress wages. They, they do not put house prices up. They do not in any material way contribute to the housing crisis. And when it comes to your health service, both here in the UK and in Ireland, yes. if you didn't have immigrants, the health service would be orders of magnitude Absolutely. worse off than it is today. Yes. So all of these fears about immigration can be dealt with. There's plenty of research that I could quote, plenty of data that I could cite that shows that immigration is not the problem that people genuinely feel it to be. And that, that's an important point to make, is to recognize... And it enhances prosperity, doesn't it? It's Economically, it's, it's potent and, and in a good way. Economic Immigration is good for economic growth, and economic growth is... Why, Chris? Well... <laughs> Particularly at the moment when, uh, in places like Ireland, even the UK with its flat economy, but also the United States, these economies are all operating at full employment. In fact, yes. these economies all have shortage of workers, and particularly shortage of workers in key areas that the indigenous population, for one reason or another, doesn't seem willing or able to yes. do. And the wages at which people are willing to work at 
um, in these different sectors mean that uh, it's generally speaking in care homes and in hospitals, you will find from cleaners to doctors to consultants, yes. an awful lot of these people are immigrants. And if, if you go nurses, to... Nurses, I mean, we have so many nurses here who are immigrants, maybe more than we have who are, you know, Irish born. Yeah. And it's interesting that I think this is one of the ways in which the debate has slightly shifted here in the UK, only slightly, that people are beginning to understand this, that they understand that if we didn't have immigration, the National Health Service would be in an even worse situation. They understand that, yes, an awful lot of the immigration numbers are students and their families, but it's also becoming apparent that a lot of universities, frankly, would collapse if they didn't have foreign students paying the very high fees that they pay. So there is a, a deeper understanding of a complex reality that, you know, immigration is a two-edged sword, that you, you may not like it for all sorts of reasons. One of the reasons why people don't like immigration is, I think, a psychological one or a social one. Maybe it's a bit of both. In that, I think what we what we are witnessing is people reacting to too much change in their lives. The world is changing very, very rapidly from for a whole host of reasons, and people's lives are not what they imagined that they were going to be. The dreams for their children, all of that stuff about children being worse off than their parents. That's the way in which the liberal elites, if you like, have let people down in that uh, a lot of uh, aspiration has, has proved fruitless and, and has not been met. And that the, the demise of the old smokestack industries in countries like the UK and the United States, not Ireland, because one of the you know uh, strange things about Irish economic history is that you don't have car, steel, coal, and all of those other industries that have gone into client creating these left-behind communities. Yes. Um, but we do have them here in the UK and, and the US. Yes, a steel works in Wales last week, for example. Port Talbot. Yes. Yeah, um, and 3,000 jobs are jobs going gone. because of a closure yes. of, of blast furnaces. But even there, you see, there's. I think we're, we're beginning to see signs of things being explained properly here in the UK. It's explained on, you know, on the nightly news that Port Talbot, for every ton of steel that it produces, it produces 1.2 tons of carbon. There are yes. environmental costs to these things. Port Talbot was losing a million pounds a day. Um, there are economic reasons why why this is happening. The steel plants have been closing in the UK since the early 1970s. Uh, my own father emigrated to Canada in the early 1970s precisely because of a closure of a Cardiff steelworks. Everybody knows the history of these things. So they understand a little bit that these things are more complicated. But the way in which, because of all of this change, technological change, the changes that our industries need because of environmental reasons, the, the, the move in places like the UK and the US away from manufacturing services, which has meant the decline of the regions in the UK. One of the reasons why Wales looks the way it does today is because the economy of the southeast of England has boomed for decades, and it hasn't in Wales or the northeast of England and other parts of, of the UK. And that's the way in which the liberal elites have let people down in that they've allowed this inequality to grow, these regional disparities to grow. And what happens now is that you get populists standing up and say, I know what the problem is. It's these elites letting you down, which I think is the correct part of their story. But every lie 
it, it, it contains a kernel of truth. Yes. And the kernel of truth here is that the liberal elites over decades have let people down, vast swathes of, the, of their population, via these changes. But the big lie is when the populists stand up and say, I know how you feel. You should feel that immigration is the problem, the problem, and uh, I therefore am the person to solve that problem. And this is the big lie. Immigration is not the problem that has caused the malaise that is gripping our societies. It's lots of other things. It's very complicated. It is the economy. One of the reasons why the UK is in the state that it's in today, you've heard me say this so many times on your podcast, Amy, is that this economy, in terms of the real incomes that people have in their pockets every week, hasn't grown for 15 years. There's no money. People don't have it in their pockets, and the government doesn't have it to spend on the National Health Service and all other public services, which are decaying. People in the UK know that their streets are decaying, their city centers are decaying, the National yes. Health Service is decaying, public services are hopeless. And then they, they are told by politicians, A, we know what the problem is, and B, we are the ones to solve it. That's the populist thing which does have some salience here in the UK. It does have greater salience, as I said, elsewhere. And I think the, the, the fact that people who have said, and in the UK, the, the immigration thing was a big part of Brexit, but people were told here in the UK, the EU is your problem. Once we get out of the EU, yes. the sunny uplands await. That promise was a lie from day one. Over the last nearly eight years, it's been demonstrated time and time again that the populist message was a lie. And so people here, I think, are showing signs of having had enough of it. And that's why they're going to vote for Keir Starmer in the next general election, not for a right-wing populist. Okay, let me ask you then about uh, the prospect of a Labour government at the next election after this uh, Tory uh, 13 year, 14 years it will be, I think, by the time of the election. Is the Labour government, because of the failures, economic failures, particularly because of Liz Truss and her splurge, but also Jeremy Hunt, the present Chancellor of the Exchequer, is talking about tax cuts, which Britain can't afford. Are the Tories now in the process of laying a trap for the next Labour government who will come into office probably with a significant majority, but they won't have the means and uh, the money to do what they'd like to do because the Tories will have uh, basically left an economy that is a wreck. Yeah, it's a scorched earth policy. And the, the latest installment of which is the promise in the next budget, which, 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 is, which is quite soon, next month, <clears throat> Um, they're going to cut taxes, and they're going to yeah. do so uh, in, in a, at a time when it is completely and utterly inappropriate to cut taxes. What the British economy needs from the public sector, at least, and also the private sector, is more spending, and in particular, uh, investing in the economy, investing in public services, and building the private sector to be bigger than it but is the, at the moment. The Shadow Chancellor, who I think is a very capable woman, has been forced to say she won't do the things that she really needs to do. And this is the pressure, that if she were to do or say she will do what needs to be done, she'd put Labour Party's prospects in jeopardy to some extent. Those people who support the Labour Party are made to feel very uneasy um, by uh, yes. what Rachel Reeves and Keir Starmer are saying about, you know, we will not put taxes up we will be very careful spenders. And we understand 
those of us that do support the Labour Party, cards on the table, why they are saying this because they do but, not want to give the Tories a stick yes. with which to beat them that you know that they're just going to come out and say this is just old tax and spend labor of old and this is where the media comes in chris yeah because we don't have a right wing media here and i think it's saved the country from all kinds of of trouble awful stuff you do in britain and if the labor party were to lay out their stall with an intellectual honesty that is required, uh, they'd be slaughtered by the Mail, the Telegraph, the Express, the Times, the Sun. Uh, isn't the media in Britain extremely damaging to intelligent and open debate? Well, it means that we don't have intelligent open debate. It means that the Labour yeah. Party is forced into that intellectually dishonest position that you so uh, very wonderfully there described, is that they're having to say things that they don't believe. And that makes yes. Labour supporters like me feel very, very uneasy because the intellectually honest thing to say is that the British economy needs spending. Taxes after the next general election, at absolute best, are never going to go down during the life of the next Labour administration. And in fact, will probably have to go up to fund investment in the public services and the British economy. And it's fine. That's absolutely the right thing to do. Taxes have to go up and that they can be found to, different taxes can be made to go up in ways that aren't too painful. Nothing is, there's nothing about tax rises that are pleasant for the people concerned, but it's what we're going to have to do. And the simple fact is that if they don't come into office and renege on all of those promises about spending, and about taxing, then they're just going to preside over five more stagnant years yes. of, of the British economy. And, and it's, it's going to be an acute dilemma for them because the moment that they do start spending, that they do start raising taxes, the right-wing press are going to start going for them and they're going to have to contend with that. But there is a right way to go for the, for the incoming Labour government, which is to, to spend and to spend wisely. It has to be stressed. Um, and the wrong way to go is to inherit all of the Tory nuttiness about their approach to fiscal policy, in which case it's going to be a very difficult five years for them. And it may only be five years for them. That's that's the, dilem the exquisite dilemma yes. that, that they face. They've been forced into this position of saying things that they know are not true. Yes. And let me ask you a final question, Chris, and it goes back to the Tory party and this conference that Liz Truss has convened today, including Nigel Farage and Jacob Rees-Mogg and some other people with strange ideas uh, about politics. Is this the Tory party of the future? If they're out of power, which they're highly likely to be, in fact, it would be unbelievable if they weren't, they will reinvent themselves as an extreme right-wing party led by someone like Liz Truss or Bednock, as you mentioned, Suella Braverman would also be there. Because I don't think Penny Mordaunt, with all due respect to your news, that she is the, the favourite, she really hasn't got very much. They're going to get uh, somebody who might be quite dangerous. And that long list of countries we uh, read out in, uh, across Europe that have moved dramatically uh, and in some ways troublingly to the right will be joined by the next Tory government. What, one of the features that I don't think is often or discussed often enough, is that the calibre of all of these people is so low. 
That, yes. that's, we do not have yes. strong, intellectually powerful uh, people. Frankly, you know, love him or loathe him, people like Tony Blair. And, you know, you, you, I, know of, <laughs> I know you loathe him, Eamon. But, you know, he had a number of things going for him. He was very smart. He had abundant energy. And he got things done. And I know you yeah. disagree with at least one of the things that he did. Um, we don't have people like that anymore. They're just not very good at what they do. Yes. And, and there's nothing coming up um, through the ranks of the Tory party that I can see that, that is going to change that. Because all of the powerful, heavyweights, deep thinkers, people with massive amounts of energy, um, they've all been purged. And so I, I think that it's very likely that the Tory party, somebody is going to try and uh, take it to the right. If it isn't, this trust is going to be somebody else. And d don't underestimate just how dangerous these people are, because no, I don't. Uh, Boris Johnson, Nigel, Nigel Farage terrifies me. I mean, we all know, we've all seen the pictures back in 2016 of uh, Nigel Farage um, being photographed with Donald Trump in that famous thumbs up yes, photograph. Boris yep. Johnson is being paid by repute a million pounds a year to write his column for the Daily Mail at the moment. Yeah, He's I'm come out rubbish. in favor of Trump. Jacob Rees-Mogg has come out as a Trump supporter. Oh, while I get my breath, um, the big news in Britain today, uh, since yesterday, is the announcement that King Charles has cancer. Has a cancer. It hasn't been uh, explained which cancer and at what stage it's at. It's um, remarkable how, in the last twelve hours. The media has been full of it. The people are genuinely concerned, and the media reflects that concern. It reminds us, really, doesn't it, of how much, despite all the disparaging of them, the royal family still mean to the British people, or at least that the British media believes that uh, the royal family still means to the British people. Absolutely. And speaking as somebody who is not a monarchist, I, I've been on a journey myself in, in recognizing that, you know, I, I do not want to be one of those disparaging elites who sneer at people who support and indeed love the royal family. They are a, a, yes. a, a binding force here in the UK. They are something that one of the few remaining things that an awful lot of people do come together and, and believe in the same thing. And they do they do have genuine respect and fondness for these people, and it's something that us Republicans like me um, need to respect more. And it is striking just how much uh, of the news flow ar around King Charles over the last 12 hours has been respectful, has been decent, even even the, yes. <laughs> the um, crazy media has done the right thing, as they did with Kate Middleton's uh, recent illness yes. or recent stay in hospital. Um, they, ha they have behaved appropriately. Um, Rishi Sunak this morning, I'm not sure if it was a statement or an interview, uh, stated that King Charles's cancer has been caught early, which is something that the Buckingham Palace statement yesterday didn't say. So we're not quite sure why he said it. But uh, the, the feeling has, has, has been this morning after Sunak said that, let's, let's hope that he's absolutely right. Okay, Chris, as always, it's fascinating and uh, thought-provoking to talk to you. Uh, and we're very, very grateful to Chris Johns, to all of you for listening. That's all we have time for now. We'll talk to you soon. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 
luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.